0: welcome to KathleenWitten.org. we believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you encourage you and give you a fresh perspective on life now here's Kathleen we are doing the book of John and we left off John 2: 1 right at that third day it says that basically the disciples were with Jesus for Three days now and and so they're learning about him and he's learning about them and on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee and Jesus's mother was there and I'm reading from John 2 verse 1 and John 2 verse 2 it says and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone Jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine okay First of all, you know how we said there's so much more in the scriptures than what you just read and think. Oh, well, that's okay, great. They have no more wine, and we we're thinking a wedding, and our weddings may last, you know, four or five hours or whatever they may be. They vary, um, but theirs lasted a week, and so, and it was up to the bridegroom to have like this big bowl usually of rice and lamb and kid and stewed and and all of these things and it was up to him to have the servants go out and invite all the guests and so the servants would go out and invite all the guests that's how they they didn't send out invitations they didn't send out little scrolls they didn't have one person go they had all their servants go and then there was usually a second invitation and then when the master of the house would shut the doors, then that meant kind of like everyone's here and we're going to start celebrating. But they would have a wedding celebration for a week. And Cana is nine miles north of Nazareth. So you've got to think about there's no H-E-Vs around. <laughs> you can't just go get wine. No problem. We're out of wine. No problem. I mean, it, it's it's remote. And so... It's an embarrassment, but also in the Eastern culture, having that happen on the first day of a wedding, it is completely a disgrace to the, the bride to the, the bridegroom's family. And so, um, it's I just think it's so interesting if you back up to verse John two three. Now that you know all of these. Things about weddings back then, and now that you have a better picture of okay it's a week long wedding, all these people are here, they've run out of wine it's only the beginning of the wedding, <laughs> there's nowhere to get wine. All these servants have gone out and invited all these people from all these places, and there's all this food, and they're out of wine and so it says in John two three when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him. They have no more wine. Well, what's interesting is she knew they didn't have any more wine. Jesus, I'm sure, knew. I'm sure they were informed, maybe, as friends of the bridegroom, friends of the family. Obviously, they were friends, because even the disciples were invited. We don't have any more wine. And so, I think it's funny how I can't, you know, project that this happened, but I just... Can imagine even my mom looking at me, and if she thought I could do something to help somebody not feel disgraced, she would turn to me and say, "They have no more wine." <laughs> it's like that obvious statement that you want to go. Uh, and so he does. He does. He looks at his mother and goes, "Well, dear woman, why why does this involve me? My time has not yet come." But see, she has been told by that angel Gabriel when she before she even had. The, the baby, that he was going to be the Messiah. And, and she watched him grow up and know the scriptures. And I personally believe, personally, that as a man, and an imperfect man, starting to realize the gifts that God had given him, I don't think he just went out and healed people and went, Whoa, golly. I think that he practiced at home and around him and with the little goats he might have taken care of. and And so she saw... That he had power. She knew he was the son of God. And so she turns to him and says. They have no more wine. (laughs) And then his response is. Oh my gosh. You know. I know they don't. But my time hasn't come. And what he's saying is. It's not time for all of Nazareth. To know that I am the son of God. If I do a miracle. Then people will start talking. At this wedding. But I'm sure she just was really silent and then it's really hilarious what she says next you read the bible and you realize these people are people personalities and 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 we may not know exactly the personality but we can infer certain things knowing culture and knowing that as we read about mary mary every time something happened um when he was younger or when the even when the wise men came and gave gifts to baby jesus She stored it all in her heart and stored it all in her heart. So she has all this stored in her heart of, you know, he's the son of God. And she has all this experience watching him heal the bird that, you know, hit the ground and practice healing and and practice these things. And so she turns and um, he said, my time hasn't come yet. And she instead, she didn't even talk to him again. She turns and says, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> I think that's so funny. I mean, I think God's funny. And that's what I mean about, like, so often we read this, and we don't catch the little inferences of him saying, Mom, you know, what time has come yet, I'm not to be revealed right now. And then she just kind of goes, hmm do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Not that she had a southern accent, but if she did, oh my gosh, this would really fit in with this whole thing because so often I know, you know, you grow up and you think, oh, you know, I'm being directed. But here she was concerned because the family was going to be a disgrace and she knew her son could do something. And so, Do whatever he tells you. I I looked at that, though, and I thought, Mary has given the greatest advice ever. Just in that. Do whatever he tells you. You know? Because it wasn't the servants and their um, expertise in turning the water into wine. It wasn't because he had the right people at the right time and it just happened to be the right this and that. It was only that they did what he told them to do and that that one line do whatever he tells you has just stuck with me so much um years ago when i really heard in my spirit to do and god gave me the name dare to be rare um i started and i started praying and he told me a, a person to call that i didn't know that was older a little bit older than me, and to tell her about it, she was a little bit excited but a little bit reticent. But it was reaching out to girls in a different kind of way, a one-night thing. Um, There was a lot of questions about how in the world can you have 6th graders through 12th graders and have anything be effective. And um, anyway, and then the, the moms that she called, and one in particular, was very... Negative about it. Like we already have enough things for them. They don't need something just for girls. And, and God just, I, I kept with that thought of just do whatever he says. It's just better, you know. It's better than listening to the naysayers. And, and it's better than even it, no matter how it turns out, do whatever he says. And because the outcome isn't up to us. It's just doing what he says. If he says to lay hands on someone and pray, the outcome of that prayer isn't up to you. That's up to him. And and if he asks you to do something that's out of your comfort zone, the outcome is up to him. And so over the two different Dare to be Rare's, we had over 700 girls. And then the book has um, been published. There's 10,000 Dare to be Rare books out there. And God really is the one because people say, how'd you think about that? And how'd you know that was work? And I said, he just gave me like, you know, almost an outline in my head. So in, in our lives, there are times when we know God is saying to do something. Sometimes it's a small thing. Sometimes it's not to do something, but if we take Mary's advice, you know, let, let us hear what she says do whatever he says do whatever he says because he can turn in our lives even the most horrible circumstances water into wine if we are obedient and so often i don't think we're going to know till heaven all the different puzzle pieces of people that are involved in in getting things done in god's kingdom that he wanted done and and then where it stopped, and I'm I, I don't want to be in heaven and have them but everyone go. Well, it stopped with Kathleen because um, she she just said, Uh, nope, not doing it. You know, I mean, it went through Ethiopia, it went through Egypt, it went through you know all these people, and then it stopped in San Antonio, Texas with little Kathleen because she wouldn't do it because she was hungry. Or you know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, God, even give me a second chance to do whatever you say. So I, I love that Mary says that. Do whatever he says. Just do whatever he says. John 2, 6 it says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they did to the brim. And then he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now the master of the banquet is like the guy that's in charge of all the arrangements of the couches. And he's usually a really good friend of the bridegroom. So he is close, close to the bridegroom. And so they did. In John 2, 9 The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, Jesus didn't want to be discovered at this point. He's like, my time hadn't come. I know that. But I think it's interesting that, okay, his Godfather, his God, God the Father, you know, he knew with him my time hadn't come. But he also knew, you know, to obey and and. Honor his earthly mother, yeah, can we say that again? you know <laughs> do what your mother says, and so I mean, it was interesting to me how she didn't even give him a choice she she just kind of said, "Oh just do what he says to do and um so I love that that Jesus, even Jesus just obeys his earthly mother, even though it wouldn't have been probably his choice at that time, so then. He okay he didn't realize where it was from, though the servants had drawn the water new, and he called the bridegroom aside, so here's this best friend calling the bridegroom aside, the groom, and then in John two ten um, it said, "Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink well, that's you know a little revealing, but you have saved the best until now and he's like, "Wow." This, you know, this is great. I kind of thought we ran out. But you've actually saved the best wine until now. I think it's interesting for us to kind of grasp time periods. Because I'm going to stop here and divert just a little bit. Wine is literally called the blood of the grape. You know, the blood of the grape. And I kind of did a little figuring. And if I'm really wrong, then... Y'all can just give me a little grace. But 120 gallons of wine, that would be 2,004-ounce glasses. And then they usually diluted it by water, three parts water, as was the custom. And so that would be enough wine for the whole week. I mean, when you think about it, three parts water, one part wine. And that's why when they... We're sitting down at meals and it says, well, they drink wine or sitting down at dinner. It was a very light wine compared to lots of the wine that we have now. It's interesting that three days since Jesus was baptized, he turns water into wine. Okay, so three days after he's baptized by water by John the Baptist, he turns water into wine. In three days, he's on the cross. For us, and he turns us from sinners to saints. I just think that's such a parallel. It's so amazing. There's so many things in Scripture like that that if if you just stop and kind of back up and go, "Wait a minute, one, two, three, wait, this is the third day you know, since he was baptized. We know that the true master of the banquet is God, and it's such a picture of Jesus turning us water, just water washing water. You know, not, In other words, they even said this is the water that they do the ceremonial washing. This is not even necessarily drinking water, that he turns kind of just plain old water into wine. He literally changes us through the blood of Christ, through the blood of the grape, through that ceremonial washing when we become christians we are changed from water to wine and it's it's just such a beautiful analogy and i wanted to look here i'm kind of skipping around just a little bit but i want to look at a parable that jesus says later and i i don't know if we want to go down this trail too heavily i'm kind of praying as i'm talking because i i want to teach exactly or share exactly what God wants us to know today for us, for me, for all of us. But um, in Matthew twenty-one forty-five, Jesus later gives this parable when the chief priests and the Pharisees were speaking to him and of him and about him and trying to get after him. In Matthew twenty-one forty-six. It says that they sought to lay hands on him and they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. And so, you know, the the chief, the Jews, the Pharisees, they were mad at him. They wanted to lay hands on him, but they were afraid of what the crowds would do because the crowds took him to be a prophet. And Jesus answered and spoke to them by parables and said, now see if this makes more sense. Hearing this parable, now that you know a little bit more about weddings... In kind of how they come about. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. That is a big deal. I mean the king. He sends his servants out like every bridegroom's family. Like every dad of the groom. And they're not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, and I'm in Matthew 22:4. tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding, but they made light of it and went their own ways. One to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. And, you know, in this parable, it's it's talking, of course, about God and the kingdom of heaven and how he sent his servants, the prophets, to his people and how they've been killed, they've been stoned, they've been made fun of. Um, At the very least, they were turned away. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go out on the highways and as many as you invite. As many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And of course we know that we're gonna be so surprised in heaven. I you know, some people might be surprised we're up there, but it's all by it's all by the blood of Jesus. We, and we're we're bad and good. We have different sides to ourselves. We have things that we really wish we didn't have. We have bad and good moments and um, I mean especially as a female I I don't understand how I can just feel kind of down and rotten and I have no friends and then 20 minutes later feel like oh well so-and-so just called and I'm going to go to lunch I mean I'm not trying to make I'm not that like, shallow, but I'm trying to make an example that that has happened in my life, you know? Lacey's like, oh, my gosh. Anytime he hears the word hormones, he goes, oh, you don't have any friends, do you? I'm like, yeah, don't say that anymore. Okay. When the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there that didn't have on a wedding garment. See, what they were clothed in really was the sacrifice remember even in the garden of eden when we talked way back when the first thing that god did was clothe them with the sacrifice so they were clothed then with the sacrifice of jesus of his son they were clothed good or bad in the blood of jesus and he sees someone not clothed and so he says to him friend how did you come in here without a wedding garment and he was speechless then the king said the servants bind him hand and foot take him away cast him in outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and then Jesus finishes by saying for many are called but few are chosen and a lot of people have wrangled with that verse and that's a very serious parable but you can see how it would have meant a great deal to the people in that culture because that's how they invited their their wedding guests. And certainly a man of great stature would have people around him want to come for the first invitation. But a king, a king would certainly have his whole kingdom come. But they turned down the invitation, turned down the invitation. And so finally he says, just go get whoever you can get. And just to look at that for many are called but few are chosen is to me almost a it's almost a relief because i like that jesus says many are called in other words he's not saying you know, few are called and, you know, few people even can make it in that situation. And there's no hope. He's saying many are called. And even the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That that the world would not perish but have everlasting life. And he desires that all men come to the knowledge of salvation. And so we know God's heart always is for those that he invites to come. We know the king's heart was for those that he invited to come. But the one thing they had to have was they had to be clothed. They had to be clothed in the blood of Jesus. For many are called, but few are chosen. And if we go back to John two eleven, it says, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana and Galilee. so, This first, you know, um, water into wine miracle that his mom wanted him to do became the first miracle that he performed that's recorded. And he revealed his glory and the disciples put their faith in him. And so I I love the way how God used it to have The glory of Jesus revealed, most especially to his disciples, because we know the whole wedding party, it never says that they knew. It says the servants knew. Isn't that interesting? The servants knew. So the servants actually are whispering about this man, Jesus. The servants knew, and then his disciples knew, and then they put their faith in him, even more faith in him. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. It's just a little bit different version. I just, I, I think this is an amazing, amazing thing for us to look at and, and to talk about. And that's number one, that balance between honoring God and, and honoring him and knowing what, he might be telling you to do or what or who you are as a person that he created you to be. But also at the same time, just like Jesus, honoring your parents, honoring your mother or father um, and in a way that that is commendable. I, I love the way Jesus did both. And it's it just gives me hope that there is a possibility that we can do both. And sometimes we sit. We set things up in our mind like, well, I'm not going to do this because I just this is not the way I am. And God did not make me this way. And I did not read that in the latest book I read. And I am, you know, so we'll say to our moms, you know, like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. We need to look for a way to give honor to them just as Jesus did. To, to give honor means to make weighty. By the way, the the word honor, and it's the opposite. I think is a colloquialism in our in our uh, language. It's the opposite of blowing something off. And there's nothing worse than, as a mother, than feeling like your kids blow you off. I'm not kidding. I mean seriously, where you are really serious about something, and your kids blow you off, it's 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 embarrassing, and if no one sees it, it's still kind of ghastly for you because you think, I'm not honorable to, to them. And we need to teach our children, yes, you do follow God, but you also honor your mother and father. Lacey and I are at an at a, um, interesting point with Maddie being um, now almost 17. She's gone to Peru twice um, for a month. Twice as a missionary, and now she's entering into being a junior in high school. And we've mentioned, um, you know, colleges and et cetera, et cetera. And she said, Well, I just may not go. And so Lacey said, Well, you may go, you may have to go if we want you to go. And she said, No, I don't have to go. And so she said, What if God doesn't want me to go? And Lacey said, Then God will let me know. (laughs) I mean, you know, it, it is such a struggle. And I remember, you know, she's not being obstinate. She's really seeking the will of God. That child is in the Bible all the time. She really, really is seeking the will of God. She has a personality that's like, I'm not going with the flow. I mean, that's her personality. Like, she was born that way, even. Like, um, no, I'm going to sleep. Not right now, you know. But so she has that kind of propensity and personality that god gave her and but and so there's a propensity to do that and be different anyway but what we need to understand is even our adult mothers and fathers i mean god will make a way that we can honor them and honor him if we seek it jesus did it perfectly he did it perfectly perfectly And that gives me hope, that gives me excitement, because so often um, I know I feel terrible if my daughter is saying, I've got to follow God, Mom, you all cannot stop me from following God, and then I don't have a piece about just as a junior not seeking colleges, because What we feel is, well, what if she decides she wants to go and we haven't sought any out and we haven't taken the SAT and we're not prepared? So we're trying to teach her, no, you prepare for different things in life and then you make decisions that are born out of wisdom and born out of your mother and father's direction, which prayerfully is is discretion and direction and wisdom given by God. And so that's kind of what we're we're dealing with right now and it's interesting to um she she laughs when i bring up the will honor your mother and father's scripture she's like oh stop it stop it stop it, stop it. you know <laughs> and so and then some of us have little ones like i know i do that it, it's just a matter of they go through the no i mean where you say w- go and pick up I will say, you know, to Storm, go and pick up your tennis shoes. Please don't leave them by the front door where everybody trips over them. Uh, no, uh uh-uh, I can't right now because so-and-so called and and I need to, and I'm like, what do you mean no? You don't say no. I feel so blown off. Like, and then I feel like, you know, what am I supposed to do? I I make him go do it, but, um, you know, what do you mean no? And... I guess we're getting a little taste of what God feels like when He's talking to us and He tells us to do something. And we're like, uh, no, not until I finish XYZ. And it's just like that little kid, you know, by shoes by the front door. No, not until I finish this Xbox game will I have time to go pick up those shoes. And It's just that whole obedience thing is huge for me. And then that's a lot of what I want to talk about. I didn't even title this, but if I titled it, I think I would title it, Do Whatever He Tells You. Just do whatever He tells you. And do whatever He tells you also in the Bible and through the Bible as what is our authority and when and when we're younger your authority is your parents and just as we get older our authority may not be our parents but we're still to honor and love them Thank you.